Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I am Joe, and with me, several thousand miles to the left in the content dungeon in London, is Tom and Nate. How's it going, fellas? Hello. Hello. It's going pretty well. Uh, just to, so that people aren't feeling like they're left out of the in-joke, right before we started recording, I realized that neither Joe nor Tom had seen the album cover for the Trick Daddy album, www.thug.com, <laughs> and uh, I shared it with them, and they're both losing their minds because, yeah, no, this, to, to us, this was a normal album cover in the late 90s. I'm um, old enough I, to I, remember how dumb shit was like regarding the internet back then. Like People thought yeah. the internet was magic and shit. And I, I listened to a lot of hip hop back then as well, and I do not remember this at all. It's it's a masterpiece. It's the greatest album cover I've ever seen in my life. I mean, so obviously a lot of the Pen and Pixel album covers were amazing. I think that was it was like No Limit made them famous, but they were doing that stuff for other Houston rappers and for like Memphis rappers too at the time, which is like the wildest like '90s Photoshop. And I think. Uh, the um the best one ever was the cover for the young star album throwed young playa where it's basically him at his house except his house has like an amusement park and looks like the fucking white house and there's like a ferris wheel in the background and he's eating from like a platinum spoon of like diamonds from a cereal bowl that his mom is pouring diamonds out of a cereal <laughs> box genuinely it's it's so unreal i mean there was i, I love huge fan of pen and pixel shit um, g- talking I mean, to, like talking that, about that. obscure hip-hop i mean it's not even really obscure but uh uh lost to the times hip-hop album covers reminds me of and i i the 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 artist himself his name is escaping me at the time right now but there was a guy who put out an album almost immediately after 9-11 <laughs> and it was the two of them sit like superimposed in front of the twin towers pushing a giant no, cartoonish no, no 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 you're wrong you're wrong it's the coup the, the album is called party music and the cover was designed before 9-11 <laughs> and they are pushing a button and blowing up yes, the world trade yes, center yes i thought i, I thought know, it was I immediately this one. after i didn't no, know it was before that's boots riley's band boots riley the guy who directed yeah yeah, uh, yeah of uh, sorry to bother you that's his band yeah yeah that was the coup and that yeah that album was supposed to come out in like I kind of swore it came out beforehand or it was scheduled to come out. It might, I, I don't think it was literally scheduled to come out on 9 11, but long story short, they obviously got a little bit of heat for that fucking Just album. Just a little bit. Yes, par, 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 party music. And yes, it's them. The, but like, do you, so I love the whole list of like, oh, all the music that was banned immediately after 9 11. Do you know what the last recorded visual of the Twin Towers is? No. Joe, do you know? Uh, no, I do not. It's Limp Biscuits rolling video. <laughs> That's how I would like to be remembered. Before oh I'm inevitably God. killed in a drone strike, I want, like, I don't know, uh, Lil Xan to shoot a, a music video and I I'm mean, walking by in the background or something. I mean, like, look, it's a, it's a horrible tragedy, but we're, we, we grew up in the shadow of it and have to make jokes about it. And I will say that, like, there are not necessarily any better instructions for someone who's in top, trapped in the top of the World Trade Center than... 
breathe in, now breathe out, hands up, now hands down, back up, back up, tell me what you're going to do now. <laughs> jump out the window, 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 jump out the window, and, window, and window, and window. And after oh, all, no. didn't the pilots just keep on rolling? <laughs> I was going to say, if I was, I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that if I was trapped in the World Trade Center, I would have fucking gotten on dial-up internet and hit up girls for nudes and see if I could have gotten fucking Sony Mavica nudes. Like, <laughs> this, this is why I am adamant that Nate is the podcasting Paul Wall. Why? What, what, what okay. about me making okay. Paul? I'm fine with derailing uh, the episode to hear the, the greater uh, Nate Bethay Paul Wall theory. Please go on. So, Paul Wall famous Houston rapper got the whole city on his back. Just like Nate, yeah. <laughs> Just like Nate. Paul Wall, the white man who's ingratiated into the culture. He's down with the shit. Married to an African-American woman. So is Nate. Both purveyors of that Houston DJ screw sound. And they both... I like that immediately. So Paul Wall has an incredible song called Internet Going Nuts that has an incredible video. It's about him on like a proprietary like chat room and he's like chatting up women and trying to get get laid online and the fact that you immediately went to that when he's like if i'm in not in the twin towers during 9-11 i'm got i got the internet going nuts i'm on chat rooms i'm looking for some ass i mean what is paul wall other than uh you know the one-to-one connection between paul wall and honkball hoof de Klasse? uh <laughs> i mean like we we need to get nate in like a long line tea i feel like see I wonder if Nate could get waves. Ah, uh, dude, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing with Paul Wall is just like he grew up like Paul Wall's, like I said, his wife's black, all his friends are black, all his fucking bands he was in, everyone else is black. He and Slim Thug are like good friends. Like he, he wasn't, he, 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 he was not sort of like a, hey, it's this guy, he's a white rapper. It's just no, this is just a dude you meet in Houston. Yeah. Like Paul Wall is a type of guy who lives in Houston. Nate is more closely um, culturally related to the Juggalos. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, being from the Midwest, I feel like it's it's hard to escape that stuff. Yeah, and and I, although I do sometimes think of the lines where, uh, of what is it in, in Chunk of Peduce where he says, uh, "What is it? That ain't an igloo. That's my watch, and that ain't snow, baby. That's my chain. That's not an ice girl. That's my teeth, and that's not a snow cone. That's my ring." Uh, he also Houston rappers have an appreciation for things made out of wood because they love having wood grain steering wheels, and so they talk about you know, grabbing the wood, gripping grain, stuff like that. And as a purveyor, someone who enjoys wood furniture, I also think of myself as gripping grain on a regular basis. So you know what? Like maybe I am in my heart, like I want to be a Houston Houston rapper. Uh, I don't want to deal with living in Houston where it's like there's zero I'm fucking, fucking dying, man. there's zero zoning. So like you can have like a strip club next to a daycare and oil refinery next to an old folks home, like <laughs> fucking whatever. Uh, also, it's hotter than shit there, but it stinks. Uh, but uh, yeah, Joe, if uh if we are if have a, both of us have an affinity for ICP, who's Shaggy Two Dope and who's Violent J between me and you? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gathering of the Juggalos was literally last week. Yeah, and I missed my annual Hajj to a cornfield in the Midwest. Um, like, on honestly, I know we've set a lot of Patreon goals for this show since we've had a lot of growth recently. I feel like we need to set a goal that. If we reach it, we will go to Gathering of the Juggalos. I don't know if I'm I mean, capable so of. Far. I don't know if I'm capable of uh, of of actually doing that. So let's set it at like ten thousand patrons. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of a, of a, of a large amount of people trapped in a in a place they can't quite escape while being ripped out of their mind on drugs, we're kind of talking about the Korean War today. 
Um, and this is right. this is one of those episodes that's quite rare. Um, maybe this happens on purpose, and why I, I rarely talk about Vietnam or Algeria. But um, this is a connection to one of us because today we are talking about Operation Paul Bunyan, otherwise yeah. known as that time that a second Korean War almost started over a tree. Um, I thought, but I thought. So you're saying that Liberty Prime from Fallout Three is based on the U.S.'s weaponization of Paul Bunyan during the Korean War? God damn it! They just had a giant <laughs> man with an ox cutting down Koreans. Paul Bunyan is actually an Evangelion. <laughs> yeah. So this is an interesting story, but um, my connection to Operation Paul Bunyan is that my dad was there. My dad wasn't there for the axe murder incident, but my dad was there. Uh, for the whole spin-up because he was, back in those days, uh, you, the guys that were on the DMZ, the American troops on the DMZ, were actually on the DMZ doing patrols with the what they call the Rock Army, the Republic of Korea Army, or the South mm-hmm. Korean military. And now that's changed. A lot of people don't realize this, but the, the actual combat presence for American troops in Korea is basically a figurehead. It's one brigade. Um, all of the troops, almost all the troops in, in Korea are just like logistics and support so that if they have to scale up the presence, they can. Um, basically back in those days though, like there were, there was from the late sixties onward, there was like a pretty decent insurgency happening in South Korea. Yeah, we'll, we'll and a talk lot about of American that a little bit. Killed. We'll talk about that a little and bit. So, yeah. And also a lesser known ACDC song. DMZ <laughs> Dynamite. God, I don't you know, know why that reminds me of a very stupid story that a uh, military police soldier told me once that the song Thunderstruck is based on the story of their tour bus being pulled over and them being ticketed by military police and Thunderstruck was their unit motto and they would say it when they gave people tickets because MPs are exactly how you would annoying. imagine they would yeah. be. Yeah. Um, also, and so they uh, said you've been thunderstruck when they got it. I have no idea. I'm a hundred percent certain that's not true. But um, he was convinced. Also, hand, hands across the ocean because thunderstruck. Whenever it's played at like an Irish wedding, all of the men will like roll up their suit trousers and do like the Angus Young thing across the floor. Uh, like there's so many videos of just like dads at Irish weddings like tie around their head like expensive suit trousers rolled up to their knees like doing like windmill guitar moves across the floor I do not own a pair of pants i'd be able to roll up to my knees anymore <laughs> yeah well it's because you get your huge weightlifter legs but i was gonna say what i was gonna say is basically to end off my little mini segment my dad was a second lieutenant in second battalion ninth infantry regiment and was stationed in i think at pamunjom at the time, or at one of the small camps there, I can't quite remember. There were a bunch of camps mm-hmm. right on the DNZ, right on the the Imjin River. One named um, after one of the guys that uh, that died in the incident. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Camp Boniface was named something else before, yep. and that was yeah, basically where this happened. Um, and hilariously, so that my dad was there in '76 uh, to '77. I was in Second Battalion, Ninth Infantry, uh, at Camp Casey, Korea. Uh, in 2013 to 2014. So, um, yeah, I, I was not only... In, I was in the same unit as my dad, but yeah, my dad uh, missed barely missed Panama, missed the Gulf War, and got out before 9-11. The only th- he got in before Vietnam. The only combat he went to was actually just this. Uh, <laughs> That's a sweet so spot. His closest, but it's weird because his closest experience his, in terms of like actual wars happening kind of thing 
was like probably one of the most insane and now completely almost completely forgotten events in the Cold War. So, yeah, uh, I'm hoping that I can. My dad's unfortunately a little bit unwell. He's got Parkinson's, but I'm going to try and see if I can do an interview with him and put it out as bonus content. Uh, so I'm going to pretend I know next to nothing about this. Joe's going to tell the whole story. And maybe I, I won't play this episode for my dad because I don't want to confuse him talking about Paul Wall. But uh, <laughs> but I will talk to him and see if maybe we can get, get him to talk about but this also, experience. Also, most importantly, and a very forgotten historical fact about this incident was that, you know, your dad was instrumental in capturing the defector known as Colonel Sanders, hence giving birth to KFC, Korean fried chicken. <laughs> Look, you're fired. All I'm going to say fired. about defectors <laughs> is that there has been a surprising number of dudes who just were like, fuck this army bullshit and just walked north yeah. back when there wasn't really we, a DMZ We've done defense. episodes on uh, Joseph Dresnick, yeah. notoriously the biggest piece of shit of them all. Uh, his two sons are still there. Um, and they are actors in North Korean cinema. Yeah, I mean, and, and if I remember correctly, he, uh, they were like, well, it, Juche won't permit us to have you marry a Korean wife, so here's a Japanese woman we kidnapped. Um, yes. That's uh, No, yeah, I pretty, think pretty his wife, you're thinking of a different defector. Um, he, uh, he's yeah, the yeah. one that ended up going back to Japan with his wife. Um, right, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I, I think Joseph Dresnik married a Romanian uh, or something like that. Um, but yeah, he was, like, we did an episode on Joseph Dresnik. He was... There's there's documentaries on him that kind of smooth over a lot of the fucked up shit that he did. Like he was uh, pretty pliant to North Korea. Like he he likes like this is where I, I can't possibly go back. So I'm gonna do my best to do whatever it is that they want me to do, which turned into beating the other defectors. Uh, he ah. was effectively like when uh, the North Koreans wanted to punish the defectors, they would send in because Dre- Dresnek was a big guy. Um, even when he was much older and uh, and very like sickly in the the documentary I'm thinking of, he was a well, big. I mean, with he's a name like, my like size. with a name like that, you assume he's going to look like one of the members of the Goo Goo Dolls, and those guys are fucking big. You know, he looks Look, more like the world to see me. Cause I'm voiding minds into minefield. I mean, I'm just saying, fucking Robbie Takeak from uh from Goo Goo Dolls is a is a big big guy. He's 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 just big guy energy, huge guy. Great first album as well. He looks he yeah, looks like, more like Sloth from band. the Goonies. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not all, not all. I can't remember if they're like Lithuanian or Polish with their last names. But yeah, they're they're all basically um. Uh, Eastern European guys from Buffalo, New York, a place you want to get out of as much as you possibly can. So, uh, anyway, you just have to we play talk in about the Goodles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, but uh, we're going to talk about setting the scene uh, for a, a fateful day in 1976 on the Imjin River, or rather on the DMZ in between North and South Korea. In the Joint Security Area. Now, uh, for our story today, it begins at the end of the Korean War, uh, also known as a topic that I once wrote an entire series of scripts for and then lost when my computer bricked itself. And I lost, you know, all of that research. Uh, also, I've heard some bad things happen during that time period that I can't be sure. Moving on. Um, with the signing of the 1953 ceasefire, the Military Armistice Commission was formed. It was an agency formed specifically to make sure that the two sides followed the rules laid out in the armistice that didn't technically end the war, but much like that book that everybody insists they're eventually going to totally finish, it hit the pause button. Spoiler alert, nobody ever listened to this shit, and a second Korean war, like Nate talked about, was pretty much happening for years across the DMZ. This included everything from an insurgency, to airstrikes, to large-scale semi-offensives, uh, like brigade size offensives across the DMZ. North Korea built a ton of tunnels directly under it. 
Including yeah, they sent they sent uh, midget subs full of commandos. Some of them actually got onto the grounds of the Blue House, which is like the Korean president's residence. Um, yeah, like it was it basically. If I as I understand the history of it, uh, Kim Il Sung saw the U.S. kind of taking loss after loss in Vietnam and said, "We can also do this." Um, and they basically started trying to destabilize South Korea, which uh, you have to understand. South Korea's economy didn't surpass North Korea's economy until 1993. Um, South Korea was a very poor country and things weren't great. And uh, as a result, like it was far less stable than people want to talk about. This wasn't really acknowledged to be a, a combat zone in the way Vietnam was. But like I've met dudes who were there and they're like, bro, we were fucking getting shot at and shooting back all the time on patrols yep. and stuff in the late 60s. Yeah, so it was bad. there was basically a second Korean War. It just was kind of overshadowed by... Uh, a thing that's always set to like CCR songs in movies. Yeah. That okay. So because you said that, and this is a fact, and I'm sorry to derail this again, but this really this episode was me. never on the rails. It started with thug.com. <laughs> so Fortunate Son was not popular during Vietnam. It came out in like I think 1971, and like didn't chart until afterwards. And it was only because of Vietnam movies who came out subsequently after the war that um, Fortune Sum became associated with the Vietnam War. Well, it's because war. they were also blown away by how cool the scene with Lawrence Fishburne on the boat rocking out when it's playing I Can't Get No Satisfaction in Apocalypse Now, but it's so expensive to license Rolling Stones songs, they had to find a different one. So they just like retroactively created this narrative. Also, really wait, funny note wait, from my so interruption. So we finally found something about the Vietnam War that was actually a lie. Thank you. <laughs> oh, damn, I never knew. Uh, is that there was this band and they were like, they were students at Kent State. And when the shootings happened, when the National Guard killed four protesters in Kent State, they were like, okay, we need to be serious. We need to fucking actually like, like this is society is fucked up. We need to like be really serious about music now and fucking get with it. And that band was, and I'm not joking, Devo. Do, 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 do. You <laughs> must whip it. I, <laughs> yeah, I, basically, yeah. I don't even know how to respond to that. Like, like a somber moment. They're like, and now playing at this. Tri well, tribute another, to the Fallen is Devo. But, but another band who decided to take their career seriously after a major tragedy is My Chemical Romance. Jared Way was so moved by 9-11 that he started My Chemical Romance. I thought, and yet we don't know if that's a good or a bad thing yet. I remember the, yeah. I, I, you know what? I'm not going to talk about the My Chemical Romance fanfic where they all die on 9-11. Uh, that's a famous uh, internet story. Let's, let's, let's talk about South Korea, I'm North Korea, the DMZ. Uh, okay. So these are like, like we talked about, these offensives were, were huge. There's a tunnel. There's several tunnel systems, though. My favorite one was the one that uh, North Korea knew was going to be discovered. So they painted the walls black and claimed it was a coal mine. Um, yeah, that was for, for I see the shit. cave walls and I want to paint it black. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what North Korea lacked in what you might call sophisticated weaponry, they made up for with just sheer insane determination. You got to got to respect an enemy that has gumption. <laughs> but this is this is where my personal beliefs and Juche like cross over is that like pure brute force and ignorance get a, gets a lot of stuff done. Also, like they were still doing this into like the '90s. I remember my for my friend whose mom is Korean. He grew up there as his dad was in the military. Uh, he said that like his mom's hometown was the one where, sometime in the '90s, they were doing another commando raid and they ran the midget sub aground by mistake. And so when the Korean cops showed up, they found 
the crew of the sub because they'd been summarily executed for incompetence by the commandos. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm de- dead serious, man. So they eventually, I think the commandos all got caught, but like they, th- some of them, it took a while. They were just like, like rucking a hundred yeah, miles, just I, fucking going nuts. Yeah, and like there's a lot of Korean commando raids, uh, North Korean commando raids into South Korea. The raid on the Blue House was certainly their high water mark, but that did not make them stop trying. Um, now, uh, with the military armistice commission came the joint security area, commonly known as the JSA, which was plopped down right in the middle of the military demarcation line, which splits Korea into two states. The JSA still exists today and you can go there as a tourist. However, I've been there for work. I I've never been, you know, in the fucking guys doing drill and ceremony standing, staring down the gate guard, like the border guards, et cetera, shit. But like, yeah, I've had to go to JSA a bunch of times because that is one place you can get sent to Korea as an infantryman if you're like a big guy who looks good in a uniform. Mm-hmm. But uh, as, I, as I said again, basically the long story short is that because some guys forgot to fucking QAQC or uh, their vehicle and they were driving a, a bridge mover like the fucking AVLB, uh, they ran over some middle school girls walking on their way to a birthday party in Yangju. I in, do remember in that. part of yeah. Gyeonggi province. The entire country went, the military fucked it, fucked the response. Everything was terrible. And Korea basically erupted in a general strike, and that forced a renegotiation of the status of forces agreements. Uh, and so as a result, basically, American troops don't patrol the DMZ except standing at the border doing DNC at fucking Panmunjom. And there's basically no training land in Korea that the U.S. military controls anymore. So, like, yeah, well, the, the, a lot of the story and the plots of movies about the 30,000 troops holding back the line, it's like, nah, man, they're holding down the fucking chow hall, like, all the way down and, like, taking... They're just committing like, crimes yeah. at bars, as is tradition. Yeah, exactly. They're just... They're, they're, yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, um, when but, you yeah, go, but back in those days, it was different, yeah. Now, when, now, when you go to the JSA today, you can go as a tourist if you go to South Korea, or if you go as a tourist to North Korea, I suppose... But, uh, you know, if you go, it looks much different than the JSA we're going to be talking about today. The line that, that cuts the Koreas in half now exists within the JSA that you cannot cross un- unless you're Donald Trump, I guess. Um, and even, even the buildings within it are, are cut in half um, because when it was originally built and originally envisioned, it was not to be divided. Koreans from both sides, as well as Americans and other allied forces could go anywhere within that small JSA. Soldiers from North and South Korea and the U.S. kind of awkwardly intermingled with one another. The, the peace was supposed to be kept by the military police from all sides, having no more than 35 on, total on duty at one time. However, that number is actually much, much higher because there were soldiers, a ton of soldiers, very nearby on both sides in observation posts and barracks. Yeah, and something that I want to point out that I think you'll get to, but just in case it's not in the notes, is that this is from my dad's recollection. Prior to the incident we're talking about, uh, one of the other ways that it was kind of the commingling thing was that some South South Korean rock army or, or joint forces OPs were on the north side of the DMZ, mm-hmm. and some of the uh, North Korean ones or the, the DPRK ones were on the south side of the DMZ. They were kind of staggered back and forth. Um, leading to a situation in which you could basically be surrounded by North Korea and North Korean military on all sides as a like uh, JSA as a U.S. NATO fucking uh, soldier there. Yeah, god dang JSA line split my turlet in half. <laughs> this didn't mean the two sides would just treat this place as a friendly hangout. However, pranks, hazing, and outright assault were not only commonplace but a daily occurrence. Groups of soldiers from one side would occasionally mug and jump soldiers from the other side out of nowhere. They'd play pranks on uh, soldiers that like fell asleep on guard duty. One soldier remembered like there was a, a North Korean post that was like a metal box 
and they would walk up next to it and like slam it with a hammer to scare the shit out of them. Uh, they just all constantly fucked with one another, and they did so in like the way that soldiers know how, and it was amplified, especially with, like the casual physical assaults. That it was clear that the only thing stopping the two sides from murdering one another was just a lack of a declared war. A soldier who was stationed there said American soldiers would play hopscotch halfway down the bridge of no return, so named because it crosses the demarcation line, and after the Korean War, POWs from both sides were given a choice of defecting to whichever side had happened to capture them. If they wanted to go to their home country, or stay where they were, if if you wanted to go home, you'd walk across the bridge while being warned, if you cross this bridge, there's no turning back. Um... And in case anybody's curious, we have talked about the last time this bridge is used in 1968 during the USS Pueblo incident. So, you know, go and listen to that, I guess. But, uh, you know, the Americans are playing hopscotch down the bridge of no return. And the North Koreans responded to that by jumping in a Kamaz truck and trying to run them over. Um, You know, harmless Uh, fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like now you would just have like prank invasion making YouTube videos. It's like we're pulling baddies into DMZ. The the, the JSA uh like knockout game. If if I remember correctly, this area they called it the Z because of like the way that the river kind of zigzags in that area. Um and yeah, like that whole area where there's it's right by the the JSA at Pemjon, but like you're you said there are uh, small garrisons very close. Mm-hmm. Like that are full There's of thousands of troops. soldiers very nearby on both sides, and, and like and they would show my dad's up into the JSA all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and for, for my dad's recollection, I mean, like they were basically when you were up there at what became Camp Boniface, I can't remember what it was called before. Uh, you were patrolling, mm-hmm. like you day night night patrols, day patrols, whatever. You were out in the DMZ patrolling, like you had to have the shit to fucking like know to not walk through minefields. Like it was it was full on like live ammo combat patrol kind of stuff. It's just that yeah. So, yeah, it happened frequently, like between the late 50s and 60s, over uh, nearly 100 American soldiers died, around 300 uh, South Korean soldiers and an unknown number of North Korean soldiers died. So it was an undeclared war. They were shooting constant, not to mention there was hundreds of wounded that, you know. Um, it was something that was a really like a, a kind of eye-opening thing was in my battalion's regimental room um, at Camp Casey. They had a lot of memorabilia from like the various eras of the U.S. military presence in South Korea. And one of them was from around this era. And it was just some photos that some guys from the units had left behind. And it was like photos of like their buddies. And like in a group photo, like five or six people would have red X's crossed out of their face, just like KIA. And like these dudes were killed in combat in on the DMZ in like 1967, 68, 69, something like that. Yeah. And their military police that were stationed at the JSA, they were armed, which means it's a minor miracle that there weren't many shootings there, but there were shootings. Uh, Korea-wide was a different story. We're talking specifically the, the area considered the JSA. Uh, North Korea was a prime shit stirs in this area for the reasons that Nate already talked about. They knew that if they were to fuck with the United States, now's the time to do it because there's no way that we could fight a war in Vietnam and Korea simultaneously. So they knew that this is like, this is our time to poke Americans in the eye. And by poke Americans in the eye, I mean, conduct ambushes in the JSA. For instance, a full complex ambush involving machine guns, grenades, rocket launchers, and rifles was launched against a truck that was uh, an American and South Korean truck that was driving to the JSA that were just the, the soldiers were just showing up for their guard rotation in 1968. Like this, these weren't isolated incidents. If, if you served along the DMZ and the JSA during this time period, you were seeing combat and probably a lot of it. South Korean and American rules of engagement 
were incredibly strict, as you can imagine. And I would imagine the North Koreans were as well, but you know, we can't really confirm what exactly the rules of engagement were. I do not have access to the North Korean internet for some reason. Even though they were armed, they were forbidden from using their guns, barring a few occasions and a few situations. Soldiers could open fire without orders if they were shot at first, but in literally any other situation, they would need direct orders from an officer first. For example, if someone was being assaulted, but not with a gun, and their life was being threatened, they would need orders to intervene with deadly force. This sentence is what you can consider foreshadowing, but that never stopped shit from popping off. It just means when it did, fights looked a lot more like a street brawl than a war, or like people are quite famously the border crossing between China and India, where the firearms are banned, so they get in like Braveheart-style battles with one another, with clubs and shields and shit. Uh, For example, in 1970, a fight started after a North Korean guard walked by an American guard and attempted to steal something off of his uniform. The American soldier then pushed him, and soon 30 North Koreans armed with shovels, pipes, and rocks ran out to fight him. They were then matched with 50 Americans and South Koreans who armed themselves pretty much the same way. Soldiers cannot carry firearms, but was very common was axe handles because there was plenty <laughs> of them. So everybody's armed with was effectively a big wooden stick that they'd beat the shit out of each other with. The only thing that the stopped this from turning into an outright murder somehow was self-restraint because the North Koreans started losing and a North Korean soldier walked into the JSA with a Kalashnikov and everybody decided things have gone too far. Let's go home. <laughs> yeah. This is like, you know, uh, the world's most deadliest game of hold me back, bro, outside of a kebab show. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Something I've thrown for context, I don't know the exact date, but they established the civilian control line uh, on the DMZ in like 1954, but there wasn't really like the reinforced fences and stuff mm-hmm. at this point. Like that came later. Like there were some in some areas, but like... It's just a line the DMZ, of the dirt. Yeah, the DMZ wasn't... And, and quite frankly... Even now, there are still villages that are technically in the DMZ uh, where I, I believe they've expanded the kind of like quarantine zone. And so like there's people you have special permits as a South Korean citizen. That if you can live in those, you can go to those areas. I believe they also pay you days, more. Uh, like the, gov- the government yeah, pays you like a days, pension yeah. for living in that area. I can't wait for Charlotte Copley to make a movie about it. But back in those days, it just wasn't the border wasn't as like tightly demarcated or enforced in a lot of ways. And so like, yeah, the North Koreans, South Koreans would defect north koreans would defect and americans the north korean military would, yeah americans yeah americans at the jsa would just like fuck this shit i hate gate guard and just walk over yep. but uh but like it's just we conceive of it a certain way nowadays but it, it, you just have to think of it as not being anywhere near as like rigidly enforced yeah. or patrols would occasionally more militarized yeah, the patrols would occasionally but, just run into one another because they accidentally cross the border and they'd be like, oh, fuck, they're on our side of the border. Then the other people like, oh, fuck, they're on our side of the border. And everybody would start shooting at well, each also, other. Well, also, like I was saying about you think about the, the whole thing with the OPs. It's like fucking you technically are on yeah. their side of the border. It's a, it's a very yeah. stupid situation. How more people didn't die is kind of astonishing because we're this is several decades, you know. Um, now there was one of my favorite incidents uh, was a few years later, there was an incident like you talked about, Nate, one of these isolated outposts then under UN command, because this area is technically UN command, uh, North Koreans ran in there and just started kicking a guy in the balls. <laughs> and, then, I lo- and then the guy just lo- falls down covering his dick and balls up and the, and the Koreans just start like painting uh, like DPRK slogans on the inside of the observation point. <laughs> and to this day, that is the most popular movie in North Korea. Man gets hit in groin with 
50 pairs of boots. Like, I, Doing, uh. I, I, as a soldier who spent too much time on boring guard duty, sometimes alone, sometimes with someone else, sometimes being alone is better because the guy you can be stuck in a bunker with is a fucking asshole. But like, you're already as, like half asleep. You're hungry. You're just counting the minutes till your relief shows up. And just like, a fucking wave of North Koreans come in that just start hammering your dick and balls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just just getting like nut tapped 50 times in a row. I'm also just imagining too that back in those days with North Korea having both the bulk of industrial production on the peninsula and also tons and tons of support from the Soviet Union, like North Koreans could spare like their jacked, huge, most big boy soldiers. Just like yeah, they did. It, it, it was it was the same on both sides. Like if you're in the JSA, yeah. the North Koreans would pick their biggest. We'd pick our biggest. The South Koreans would pick their biggest. And it makes sense that they would those dudes would just brawl and fight because they're regular soldiers. But in my mind, it would be funnier if they were just like right within eyesight of the of the UN troops, just like fucking doing the weird military parade shit where they're like driving motorcycles over a dude's abs <laughs> or like you know like breaking doing doing fucking Taekwondo shit. To shatter a million concrete bricks like the battlefield medal that they're gonna get is just like bronze and on it has a pair of bruised they're just, testicles they're just basically doing the bonus level from fucking final fight where you just smash a car with a pipe and stuff <laughs> or with your fist just beat a car up hitting like- a dude in the nuts with a rasengan <laughs> uh, it's just fucking incredible man um like the, the dude just ripped out of their mind, just hand, like kicking you in the ball so hard you could taste them. Oh, and also they were mega. Everyone was mega on speed pills back then. Oh, of course. You could buy like you could buy speed as like diet pills over the counter in Korea. This and, just yeah. uh, this just sounds like being in an all boys Catholic school. I mean, like it's, it's a lot basically like just if, being in the army, except that now that yeah. an enemy soldier is the one coming up and giving you <laughs> testicle trauma. Yeah, it's, it, it's it's like we 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 drafted the entirety of two different hardcore scenes and put them fucking on the DMZ. <laughs> One of, the same haircuts. Are, one of our soldiers one of our soldiers was involved in a testicular incident uh, he reported an encounter five miles across the DMZ and he neutralized the enemy's testicles and, and you know afterwards there had to be some kind of like eye for an eye so they'd pin down some like North Korean soldier and kick him in the balls too but what if, what if the reason you know that like whole thing that like people in North Korea are like statistically shorter than South Koreans well, that, isn't that because ha- of malnourishment. That has to do with the arduous march in the 90s. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but, that, that's later. Yeah, I was going to say, like, but what if it's not because of like malnourishment? Instead, it's because all of their grandfathers were all kicked in the nuts way too much. <laughs> <laughs> now, another occasion, uh, another very weird one. A U.S. Army major got into a fight with a North Korean journalist. Now, both the major and the journalist were kind of known for being hot-headed. Uh, and you know, the major's like, fuck this journalist. I've had too much. He like, he, he like pushes him. And then the uh, North Korean soldiers show up. He gets the shit kicked out of him. And the journalist like waffle stomps him on the throat. Sometimes on, on rock army soldiers, they'll have like these skill badges and like, they're kind of, some of them like cool, but also ridiculous looking. And one of them, I swear to God, it's like a martial arts skill badge. Like it would be like your airborne wings, but it's like in color on like a patch on their uniform. It's just like a fist with like a cartoon, like punching thing. And I was like, what if the North Koreans had that, but it was a boot connecting with the dick and balls? <laughs> yeah. If, if anyone is listening and has artistic skills, please draw a challenge coin for us. That's a DPRK nut kicker challenge coin. <laughs> but this makes sense because Kim Jong-il or is it Kim Jong-il? It's Kim, the, Kim Il-sung. Kim Il-sung right now. Yeah. No, what his son? It was Kim Jong Il. Kim Jong Il, yeah. He was a well-noted fan of ballet, 
He was also a well-known fan of cocaine and ecstasy. Yeah, I mean, who among us? Uh, he's um, culturally but, British. <laughs> he, he loved ballet, so there is a strong chance that he heard about this and got really into seeing the Nutcracker. <laughs> he's like, he, 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 he sits down and watches the Nutcracker for the first time. He's like, this is not what I expected. <laughs> Disappointed. Now, yeah, so, so, so Joe, you got the script. I know we love derailing, but... Now we aren't talking about the GSA. Uh, now we aren't talking about the JSA because a bunch of dudes got their dick and balls kicked in. Even though that's pretty fucking funny. Uh, instead, we're talking about a time that a full scale war nearly started because of a single poplar tree. So, for starters, you should know that, like we talked about, both sides have observation posts all over the place. Soldiers sit in them, bored as hell, trying not to fall asleep, and occasionally jerking off. Probably. A key reason for these points was, you know, in the event of another invasion starting, whether to the north or the south, they could see it coming for about five seconds before being wiped off the face of the earth by enough artillery that could kill God himself. So every once in a while, they'd have to trim away bushes and trees that grow so large that it might obscure one of these lines of sight. That is what's going to happen on the morning of August 18th, 1976, when Captain Arthur Boniface and First Lieutenant Mark Bennett but a work party of five South Korean laborers and 11 unarmed soldiers, both American and South Korean, toward the bridge of no return. <laughs> Captain, Captain Boner face. <laughs> now, uh, you might feel a little bad about that when you hear the rest of the story. <laughs> Boy, does he get his dick kicked off? Uh, he gets hacked to death with an axe. Uh, okay. Like in Don't Mess with the Zohan. <laughs> I guess. I've never seen that movie. There is a massive poplar tree that is blocking the view of a nearby UN observation point and need to be trimmed back a little bit. Previous attempts were made to trim the tree back, but they had been met by large groups of uh, North Korean soldiers, hence why they brought security, though unarmed, though they, they, they were completely unarmed. Like, um, oftentimes, security in the JSA would bring their axe handles. They didn't bring anything. The last time they had tried to prune the tree, a North Korean officer, a guy named Lieutenant Pak Choi, insisted that the tree was sacred as it had been personally planted by Kim Il-sung, the forever leader of North Korea, which is absolutely not true and a trend that North Koreans would... Uh, like It was a trend that they would tell that story on the JSA and the surrounding area whenever anyone wanted to change anything. Uh, because there w- the, glorious, the glorious Kim Il-sung arboretum. Yeah, like um, w- w- there was a, uh, a protocol in place if you want to tr- uh, change something, trim something, whatever you would have to both agree upon it. And every time that happened, every time they wanted to cut a tree down, trim a bush, which they did do all the time without North Korean approval, because whenever they'd submit for approval, they'd be like, no, the, you know, the, the dear leader, uh, you know, personally planted that or personally like christened this cement block or whatever. So they just ignored them all the time. Nothing that's, that's, that's going to start here is out of the ordinary, is what's important to remember going forward. Like, this kind of stuff happened all the time. There was always work parties trimming trees back, you know, digging, uh, moving rocks, whatever, uh, from both sides. Uh, There's nothing that we're going to talk about is like, oh my god, they let out a woodcutting party. Like, all of this is completely normal. But, uh, Joe, do you know what's really funny? So, um, for some reason, well, uh, the host of one of our Irish national broadcasters like late night talk show on a Friday evening is in love with JFK. He's written three books about JFK, but JFK's family came from where I'm from in Ireland. And the famine ship that uh, people went over during the famine is like, it's, 
it's kind of repaired, kind of recreated is in the harbour in New Ross. But then, even better, much like Kim Il-sung's Arboretum, there is a John F. Kennedy Arboretum with a hedge maze that every year when I was in primary school, we'd have to go to, like, our yearly school trip would just go to this park that's, like, 20 minutes away from school. <laughs> so strange. They're gonna be, there's going to be a Joe Biden one soon. Um, okay, so... So when Boniface ordered the workers to start trimming back this poplar tree, a group of North Koreans appeared, led by Pak Choi. Pak had a hell of a reputation at the JSA. Whenever there was a fight, uh, you know, large scale, small scale, whatever, he was pretty much always there. He was known for being an abrasive prick, even for like, even in the context that of the JSA, where nobody was really friendly. Uh, a lot of the North Koreans, South Koreans, and Americans, they had working relationships because they had to. Uh, not that it wasn't always fist fights and ball kicking, but uh, Pack was well known for being an asshole. And only a few days before, Pack had a group of soldiers hold Boniface up at gunpoint, accusing him of insulting Kim Il Sung for his insistence that, that that same poplar tree was not planted by him and was just a tree. Please be normal. Now, uh, Pack ordered Boniface to stop working, and Boniface just ignored him. Now, uh, soldiers who served under Boniface said that this was his normal way of dealing th- with things at the JSA. He told his soldiers that their job was to get spit on, insulted, and harassed, and to simply ignore it, since the North Korean soldiers just wanted to get a reaction out of them. Then, you know, this is the 1970s version of, like, don't feed the trolls. Since Boniface had been there, he learned the quickest way to de-escalate pretty much every situation on the JSA was to simply ignore it. The North Koreans would get bored and they would leave him alone. Boniface is a bit early proponent of be kind. (laughs) Boniface literally turned his back on Pack, which is not a good idea. Uh, Pack had then called for reinforcements, which Boniface did not know about. Eventually, around 30 North Korean soldiers appeared. Pack yelled at Boniface, quote, the branches that are cut will be of no use, just as you will be after you die. In English. Um, now, Boniface, again, still didn't think anything of this. He thought this was just another incident of shit-talking that he had countered countless times during his tour at the JSA. It was nothing. It might turn into a fight, but he assumed Pack would just yell at him, someone might get a rock thrown at him, whatever, and then this would go away. Instead, one of the South Korean laborers noticed that Pack had took his watch off, wrapped it in cloth, and put it in his pocket. Other North Koreans began rolling up their sleeves and loosening up their shoulders and arms. They were literally warming up to commit crimes. A South Korean sergeant saw this unfolding and yelled out to Boniface that something was wrong, just as Pak uh, then yelled to his soldiers in Korean, kill the bastards. The 30 North Koreans charged at the work party. Now, these guys are armed with mostly axe handles and some with actual axes. The laborers that were working on the tree panicked and dropped their work tools behind them as they ran. The North Koreans then scooped those tools up, arming themselves with more weapons, along with the tools they'd already brought with them with the express purpose of violence. Captain Boniface was taken down within seconds and had his skull caved in with the blunt side of an axe. He died almost instantly next to the tree. Boniface was due to leave Korea in three days. Lieutenant Barrett ran for his life and jumped over a nearby retaining wall with an axe-wielding North Korean chasing after him. Then everybody kind of lost track of him. The other soldiers then fought for their lives trying to get away because they were completely unarmed. All but one of them were wounded in one way or another. Another body of UN soldiers showed up to reinforce them and the fight ended. Now, many of these people that showed up in the second wave were military police and they were armed, but the only nearby officers 
for Captain Boniface, who was dead, and Lieutenant Barrett, who was missing, so nobody could give them orders to open fire. So they didn't. The entire ordeal lasted about 30 seconds. You can actually watch this entire thing on YouTube because it was recorded by UN soldiers at a nearby outpost. So if you really want to watch that, you can. Now, at this point, UN soldiers took away Boniface's body, but nobody could find where Barrett had gone. Time went by, and soldiers at an observation post could see the retaining wall that he had jumped over, and they began to see something very strange was going on. North Korean soldiers kept going over the wall, which led to a tree-filled depression. One would come back, hand an axe to another soldier, and then they would go back down the depression. This went on for 90 minutes before a soldier at the outpost reported it to his supervisor because something seemed off. They sent a team of armed soldiers to go see what was going on, and that's where they found Barrett, who had been hacked to pieces over the course of several hours by North Koreans. He had fallen about 15 feet after he jumped off the retaining wall and broken his leg upon impact, meaning there was never a chance he could have gotten away. Now, as you can imagine, the fallout from this situation happened pretty much immediately. North Korea immediately blamed the U.S. for everything. A news broadcast in Pyongyang said, quote, At about 10.45 a.m. today, the American imperialist aggressors sent 14 hoodlums with axes into the joint security area to cut down a tree of their own accord, although such work may be mutually consented beforehand. Four persons from our side went to the spot to warn them not to continue work without our consent. Against our persuasion, they attacked our guards in Moss and committed a serious provocative act of beating our men, wielding murderous weapons, and depending on the fact that they outnumbered us. Our guards could not resort to anything other than self-defense measures under the circumstance of this reckless provocation. Now, at the same time, Kim Jong-il, future leader of North Korea and Kim Il-sung's son, was actually addressing a conference of the non-aligned nations, which I believe was going on in Sri Lanka at the time. And he asked for a resolution to be passed, blaming the U.S. for all of it and the disillusion of of, of the JSA as a whole. Um, And it, it was passed. Um, well done, boys. Now, in the U.S., the Ford administration was pissed. Obviously, they're uh, very upset that two of their soldiers had been murdered, but they're also really confused at the fact that it happened in the first place. Like, uh, now, like some of their quotes are incredibly mean. Uh, like, they're like, "How the fuck could they allow themselves to be beaten to death? Like, why did nobody shoot them?" Stuff like that. Uh, which is now, those are, I guess, those are some pretty fair questions to ask of how this could occur in the way that it did. Granted, it all happened very quickly. Um, and it's also, in my opinion, it's fucked up to be like, how could these soldiers allow themselves to be murdered when the reason why nobody opened fire is because they were just following their orders of restraint and de-escalation that was mandated yeah. for the JSA. And they didn't go out with weapons because the whole idea was that you wanted it to be non-provocative in the first place. Right. And even if they did bring their axe handles with them or whatever, there was still massively outnumbered could would boniface and and barrett not be murdered it's hard to say probably i mean they were up against they they were outnumbered like 2 to 1 against dudes with axes i don't know what they could have done um honestly like i, ca- I can't imagine a more gruesome death than being turned into human bimimbap i mean the, the i mean the i guess for boniface he died pretty much instantly we don't really know yeah. what happened with barrett but like it was bad. It was real fucked up. Uh, now, now, 
The U.S. began talking about a response. Noted psychopath and current Secretary of State at the time, Henry Kissinger, wanted to f- oh. <laughs> wanted to find a North Korean fishing boat to quote shoot up. Um, there was also another thing. Ford was currently fighting for his life to secure his nomination for his run for president. So, for people who are unaware, maybe if you're not American, maybe if you are American, you're not. You don't know too much about this kind of thing. He actually was never elected president, and he accidentally led his way into the White House. And this was going to be his first actual election. Basically, Spiro Agnew had to resign for corruption and Watergate. I think not even, might not even been Watergate. No, it, it was, was it, it was corruption back in his home state. Yeah, and uh, so <laughs> Ford was put in to replace him, and then Nixon had to resign after Watergate in '74, and so Ford was then president. Uh, so yeah, he Michigan's he, first exactly, president, unelected. baby. <laughs> King of the Mitten. Yeah. Uh, he, the, that is the Michigan story. Becoming president, never winning an election, leaving. Um, Gerald Ford and Babytron, here we go. Yeah, and he would go on to lose the 76 election yeah, to Jimmy Carter. Yeah, he sure would. And uh, so the CIA and Kissinger figured this entire thing may have been cooked up by North Korea, specifically Kim Jong-il, to influence the election, which may have been true. Um, and there was more than one person in the room, specifically Kissinger, who called for an immediate military response in the form of bombing North Korea. Now, Kissinger's idea was to bomb a nearby military barracks that might contain Lieutenant Pack and the men who committed the murders. William Clements, the deputy secretary of defense, said, quote, I think we should just cut the goddamn thing down, meaning the tree. And so he like, let's send a squad of armed soldiers as a show of force while others cut it down. Then he backpedaled, worried that the entire thing might blow up into a full-scale war. So Clements thought of a better idea. And by better, I mean Acme-ass shit. A single soldier would be sat on a bicycle, armed with a bomb, and then have them pedal over to the tree, throw the bomb at the tree, and pedal away. Why is it always the bicycles? Henry Kissinger effectively told him to shut the fuck up, which might be the only time I've ever agreed with Henry Kissinger before. God, I cannot wait until that man fucking dies. Like, it will be, we will achieve, you know that scene in, like, The Simpsons when, uh, what's his face, the uh, Lionel Hutz is like, what was it, imagine the world without X, and it's just like. Imagine the world without lawyers. Yeah, and everybody's yeah. dancing imagine arm in arm around a rainbow. Yeah, imagine the world without Henry Kissinger. Like, how many things would, like, would have gone so much more differently and better if that man had been nuked at birth? Most things um, that he was involved in. Um, now, the U.S. had withdrawn from Vietnam not too long before this, and the military insanity wing of the U.S. administration thought that just taking this tree out would look pathetic in the grand scheme of things. America needed a goddamn win. Fuck that tree, which is a serious conversation that was going on not only within the White House, but the entire fucking Pentagon, because the world is very stupid sometimes. The Pentagon is just like, you know petty British neighbors arguing over a tree on a boundary wall yeah. with bombs. <laughs> I mean, like, to be fair, I, it would not be that far of a leap for some gammon faced guy in like London to be like, I'm going to nuke my neighbor. I'm going to put a bomb on his wall because his, his oak tree is like slightly leaning into my garden. And to the surprise of nobody, I'm sure Henry Kissinger also wanted to nuke Pyongyang. <laughs> yeah, I was. I figured we were going to get to that. We'll too. get. We came very close to that point, which is where we're about to end up. Um, Ford wanted to do something, some kind of show of force that would scare the North Koreans, but maybe not kick off another full scale war. 
So he settled on what has to be one of the largest dick measuring contests the world has ever seen, called Operation Paul Bunyan. Three days after the murders took place, a convoy of 23 armed soldiers drove into the JSA. They were supported by two platoons, about 60 men, who were armed with pistols and axe handles. Bombs on bridges leading into South Korea that had been planted to prepare for any northern invasion were activated. B-52 bombers armed with nuclear weapons were sent into the direction of Pyongyang from Guam, accompanied by combat aircraft that had been launched by a whole-ass naval task force just off the Korean coast. The amount of aircraft deployed was bigger than the entire North Korean Air Force, and the, the naval assets deployed were bigger than the entire Korean, North Korean Navy. So, so we should also say this because most of our audience is American, but many people are not, and they may not be familiar with Paul Bunyan as the sort of folklore figure in American folklore, but he's, a, he's basically a big guy with a big blue ox named Babe, and he's a lumberjack, and he's gigantic, and he fucking just does all these, like, he does like Arthurian legend shit, like feats of daring do. It's, and a, cutting it's down an treaties. attack on Titan prequel. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's just, a, he's, he does, it, it, it's literally like Tristan and Isolde level of like Paul Bunyan is just the character that just gets worked into these stories. I love, I love the idea of, I know the joke about like Americans can only conceptualize things in terms of a burger, but like, <laughs> The American response to Arthurian legend is, what if a dude was really big? And really good at cutting down trees. And his best well, friend like, was, fair, a, was a fancy cow. Huge, huge cow, yes. I mean, they went for this rather than Henry Kissinger's idea of the Johnny Appleseed offensive where he just uh, litters uh, Pyongyang with bombs. Just drops nukes everywhere. Yeah, so basically they named, because Paul Bunyan cuts down trees, they're going to cut down a tree. Tree is the center of the inciting incident, so who better... To name it after than than big guy with an axe. It's like you guys have Pak Che, the fucking the kind of like bulldog North Koreans first lieutenant who kills people with an axe. We have a bigger guy with a bigger axe and a fucking cow <laughs> <laughs> who's blue for some reason. Who will be turned into burgers? That is true. All babe, comes babe, back to burgers. Babe, the blue ox. When I can't remember if Babe is male or female, but I presume an ox. I think Babe always has horns, so it has to be male. Uh. When he reached the end of his fucking, you know, available service period, I presume Paul Bunyan made him into burgers. Just feeds him into the, the world's just, largest meat grinder. The Russians observing, the Americans are sending large men with cow made for burger. They are going to drop burger on Pyongyang <laughs> to feed North Koreans. I have no idea what they are facing. Can you imagine how many burgers they can make with this guy? They are going to do agitprop in North Korea he by has giving a burger. Big cow. They're going to send a huge fucking guy. Um, (laughs) Well, the North Koreans sent their big guy, so we got an even fucking bigger one. As as soldiers got close to the DMZ, close air support aircraft as well as attack helicopters circled overhead. 12,000 other soldiers were emergency airlifted to Korea from Japan, while the general populace in South Korea was told to prepare for a nuclear holocaust just in case. In all, well over 1,000 soldiers, airmen, and marines from the U.S. and South Korea directly took part in the operation. I don't mean like the staging of just in case this turned into something more. I mean, they were actively moved into the JSA. Yeah, my, my, my dad's recollection was that they got a full activation, which was a thing they had drilled for but never expected. And they basically had to like take their full combat load, go out and like, like as if as a light infantry company, platoon in his case, but like the, the, whole, the whole brigade got activated and that they just went out and like yeah it's like y'all are gonna go and literally if anything kicks off we are fighting yep i also just uh, googled apparently there is a recipe for a paul bunyan burger 
The hard part is fi- the, the hard part is finding a blue cow. So it's a ugh, it's a burger with like cooked bacon and cheese inside of it. But that's just like some shit you found off Pinterest. Like that's literally just like it could be some random dude on the internet. It's like I got a Paul Bunyan burger. I mean, that, like, that's just that's like, not like a it's like a staple in American cuisine. That, that's just like all the burgers are. All those terrible videos on TikTok of like check out the you know the TikTok robot voice or whatever like. No, appar- Look at apparently this burger it is and you cut into recipe. it and it just jizzes cheese everywhere. Like, like there, there's multiple websites. Have you ever heard of a Paul Bunyan burger? There, that might not. also be like some shit they do in North Dakota. No, I've or never heard like that. of that. <laughs> uh, I mean, Dakota Dakotans were putting this blame on you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so over a thousand people directly took part moving into the JSA. That's not counting the tens of thousands that were waiting in the wings and the thousands of sailors who are floating just off the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, South, of course, uh, South Koreans also took part in the operation. One of the men happened to be Moon Jae-in, the future South Korean president. Um, you know, when they would start actually electing the presidents in a, in a decade or yeah. two. Um, and, uh, ironically, this is not important, but Moon Jae-in was born to North Korean parents. And then he would famously meet Kim Jong-un around the same time of the most awkward diplomatic mission in American history took place. You know, the one where... Donald Trump saluted a North Korean general and asked the photographer to make sure him and Kim Jong-un look skinny on camera. That one. It's a, it's a great shame that the U.S.'s greatest diplomat of the past 60 years is Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Dennis Rodman rules. Dennis Ro- Rodman is so cool. I like, would is so funny. I, I would put an asterisk next to that until you look into his personal life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, very weird and sometimes, a lot of times, bad dude. But, like, iconic. Uh, there is a lot of people who are iconic. That does not mean it's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Dennis Rodman, or Kelly, Philip Schofield. Oh. Every soldier assumed that this was going to spiral into an all- all-out war. Even the Secretary of Defense, when asked about it, he was like, I give it 50-50. So, you know, it could go either way. In fact, if anything popped off, the first response the U.S. was going to do was to nuke Pyongyang. Uh, assuming that anybody who opened fire at this point meant for the war to start. Henry Kissinger probably has a hard, a hard on at this time that would fucking rip off your trousers. Uh, he wanted to start with a nuke, to be fair. Um, so this is the more normal response when Kissinger's in the room. Then trucks full of North Korean soldiers showed up at the JSA. Hundreds of them got trucked in, jumped out, and began setting up fighting positions and machine gun nests in the road opposite of the team sent to cut down the tree. And as soldiers thought they were about to get a front row seat to what would probably be World War III, the engineers who were ordered to use chainsaws to take out the poplar tree kept breaking their chainsaws. So, like, imagine how anxious everybody is that, like... Everybody's staring down the barrels of machine guns, rifles. There's nuclear bombers circling overhead. There's close attack choppers like a couple hundred feet above you. And then some private just keeps snapping chains and burning down fucking uh, chainsaws. I really do hope I can do an interview with my dad. But the thing I would say that he told me that he found really striking about this incident was that like when they actually called to muster all their shit, he realized he's like, we're so fucked because none of our stuff is working. Like this is all in such bad shape. People haven't been doing maintenance. He's like, I had a platoon and I think they probably had three machine guns. He's like, only one of them was operational because like one of them was just fully down and the other one like they had they had so freaked out fucking getting things ready that they had they they had jammed the gas tube in backwards (laughs) because his story. And he's like, he's like, genuinely, I just, he's, I remember him telling me this. He's just like, thought that 
this being an actual muster that no one ever thought would happen, you realize like, wow, we are in such fucking disarray here, which completely tracks with my experience oh, as well. in the yeah. US military in South Korea. Yeah. I mean, it, my, it tracks with my time in the army in general, and clearly nobody thought to double check the chainsaws. Um, then as everything was going stupid, everybody was sure that someone was going to open fire the North Koreans back down. They packed up their shit and they left. And according to army intelligence reports, who of course have been spying on North Korea for decades at this point and monitoring Korean tactical radios, the, the North Korean response, this is abject terror and panic. The, they're like, Oh dear fucking God. What is, why are all these? So like, what are, what are they doing? Um, Seems a little disproportionate. They got this mad and we hacked two of their dudes up with axes. Yeah. They are, they are well past the fucking around window, yeah. and now they're in the finding out phase. And I would also point out, too, that, like, they, I mean, it's worse now, but, like, I can imagine that since a lot of their equipment they still have was old, even at this point, mm-hmm. a lot of it was, like, World War II vintage Soviet stuff, like, they probably also, like, the exact same fucking platoon leader equivalent of my dad on the North Korean side. I was like, oh, fuck, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, people, I, I open up a case of ammo at every fucking round in the, in the fucking link of it just has cigarette butts stuffed into it where a bullet should be. <laughs> ah, I see they imported these, uh, am- this ammunition from Albania. Uh, <laughs> uh, and at, so at this point, uh, Kim Il-sung himself had to like get on, uh, some kind of radio and start screaming at his military commanders. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Back off. Uh, like they had, uh, because the it all happened so quickly that the North Korean military officers at the JSA and in the general area reacted to it like they would in any other situation without really fully grasping what was happening. I don't think the military commanders on the North Korean side at that moment realized how close everything was to war, but Kim Il Sung did, and he was like, "Oh fuck! Oh shit! Everybody, go home! Go home! Get in the truck!" <laughs> I'm thinking of the scene from Copland, just because it was in the episode of Kill James Bond that Tom and I just worked on, where the guy's like, "Get the fuck out! Get lunch! Go get lunch! Clay's is closed! Go out! Get the fuck go! Go get lunch!" And it's like basically that. Uh, you you remember the GI Joe PSAs? Uh, mm-hmm. Like. G.I. Joe is like, oh no, the 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 my pork chop sandwich is on fire. And the G.I. Joe runs is like, kid, what the fuck are you doing? Get the, the fuck, fuck out. Get the fuck out. This is this is some extremely old millennial shit. These were like viral videos on like was it Newgrounds? We're gonna have like to splice humor. this in at this point. In the in the early two thousands where they took and they the guy basically chopped up the old PSAs from the end, like, don't don't take medicine out of your parents' medicine cabinet, fucking PSAs from the episodes of the animated TV show from the 80s, G.I. Joe, and basically made them into just completely surreal. <laughs> like, if I talk to a guy my age from America, all I gotta do is like, hey, what the fuck are you kids doing on my fucking lawn? <laughs> and don't look at me when I'm talking to you. Like, that's, yeah. Those were, we all, those we were like know. the, honestly, one of the first like viral internet memes I remember. Yeah. And because yeah, 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 we're yeah. older than shit, we're going to have to cut in the entire pork chop sandwich ad at this, in this yeah. episode. Now. Get the fuck out of here. God, that smelled good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course I know these. Yeah. Why would um, I? So this entire operation took about 40 minutes. The tree was left little more than a stump, which sat there for years afterwards. Now, within hours of this entire operation winding down, Kim Il-sung came as close as he politically could to apologizing for the murder of the two soldiers. He acknowledged it happened, 
Uh, but he did not apologize uh, because in the first, like he, he, you know, in the first statement, it was self-defense. And, and yeah. this one, it was like, you know what? We attacked the Americans. Uh, and like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, we apologize for our action. They, I think he said it was regrettable. It's as close as he you know, could come. It's funny because this is a thing that you'll experience if you, if you work with, uh, certainly if you work with the Korean military. And it's just a cultural difference thing. And I'm sure it's, it's the same in North Korea as in South Korea. But there is definitely a culture like there cannot be a kind of military AAR or after action review uh, culture where you're like, here's what we fucked up. Here's how we'll improve it. Because acknowledging what you fucked up, they're like, wait, you, you just said out loud that you fucked up? Like, this guy fucked up. Does anyone know? Dude, how is this guy allowed to have his job? He said he fucked up. Like, everything is about, like, I saw the Rock Army company fucking put two platoon-sized firing positions pointed directly at each other during an <laughs> exercise. And the guys were like, everything, everything went according to plan. I'm yeah, sitting in, like, in the, the DPRKAR and like Lieutenant Pack is like, okay, so I guess I shouldn't order, uh, I shouldn't have ordered my soldiers to brain those two guys with axes. Next time, we'll just kick them in the balls. All right, three sustains, three improves. <laughs> sustains, great motivation, great fucking great hustle. Communication. All right. There's always someone great who gives great communication. Assault, assault element, you were absolutely on of it. The three improves. Um, uh, we killed two guys with an axe. Uh, they've got a trillion fucking dollar military budget. They're absolutely going to kick us in the balls. Uh, uh, maybe we should just do ball kicking next time. <laughs> they're, they're inventing pneumatic boots so you can kick people in the nuts harder. <laughs> Rocket power boots. Uh, we invented the steam engine that aims directly for the nutsack. Uh, running around with like ratchet and clank style <laughs> weapons hitting each other in the, the north korean the north korean ceo just be like guys look okay i know you want to kick them fucking the balls that's fine i just don't want to have to know about it all right you kill them with an axe i have to know about it. you kick them in the nuts 50 times and write shit on their op that's cool all right just don't make me have to know about it and they're like huh in north korea <laughs> uh no afterwards uh th- within days and weeks several rounds of talks later i assume more than one bout of nut kicking North Korea removed its guard post from the southern side of the joint security area. Everyone else did the same side from the northern side. And everyone agreed that the military demarcation line would run smack dab through the JSA and separate North Korean forces from everybody else. So this shit would never happen again. And hence, that is why the GSA and hence, that is why the JSA is separated to today. Everyone in the Ford administration considered this uh, operation a massive success other than Henry Kissinger course nobody died he was pissed that he wasn't allowed to blow up a barracks or two and he told president Ford that the government should quote conduct a study of how many americans and north koreans have to kill before we have them deforested and change their climate which means until we nuke them yeah it's like how many do they have to kill because i want to kill american soldiers among <laughs> other people henry i've been kissinger, doing a lot of it henry kissinger's just floating in a tank like motoko kusanagi like fueled by his own hate floating in his own he's corn the blood god from fucking warhammer 40k <laughs> he doesn't care where the blood comes from the blood just must flow you know uh, so a monument to the two murdered officers sits where the tree once did today nobody was of course held accountable for it that we know of because we have no idea what happened to lieutenant pack um we're not even sure if pack Choi is his real name um, that's just what he was known as. Uh, we, he seemingly disappears from history at this point. Um, if you are a listener and you're in North Korea and you know what happened to Pak Joy, you know? Yeah, let us know. Yeah. I will say, I don't know if, if I'm, I'm reading this correctly, but that name Pak Che, it sounds a little interesting to me because Che is a surname and Pak is a surname. Like Park is yeah. Romanized, Pak, that's the same thing. So like Probably that, that seems kind of funny yeah. because normally, normally Korean, actually all Korean names are basically like single, uh, it'll be like, one syllable surname and then two syllables for your for your given name yeah. like uh 
uh, who's a, like Kim Dae-jeon, that kind of a thing. Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il. Um, His name you know, was probably Lee, something that, the, that yeah. the Americans just called him. And they knew he was a lieutenant. Yeah. So like it's probably yeah, yeah, yeah. not his real name. Like they call him the bulldog and shit like that. Pack almost certainly wasn't his actual name. So we we have yeah, no some, idea what happens to him later. It's also really funny too because I'm just imagining one guy who was bad at fucking Korean but went to DLI fucking sees his name tape and he's like, oh that's it says Pac and the other guy says no it's his Che and they're like oh he's just Pac yeah. Che is his name. No it's just some dickhead like officer from Iowa who thinks his name is Bok Choi but can't say it right. <laughs> fucking. And God. then one of the Americans was gonna ask a Katusa but they were missing because they were at a Katusa meeting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were they were doing singing patriotic songs and uh, and, and and trading one book of pornography. Um, now, the, yeah, they, the, like the, the, some like we can end this on a somewhat ironic note uh, because our podcast kills us on the inside. The axes used during this murder, uh, these murderers rather, are on display in a North Korean museum, ironically known as the Museum of Peace. <laughs> yeah honestly like north korea is just purely goaded for their ironic names of things i would say also like the more you dig into anecdotes like that's from the cold war or just in general in korea korean peninsula whatever any era but you find these insane stories and one i'll end on because i just as my hypothetical name of, of kim dae-jung like uh the president of south korea i think in the like early 90s <laughs> i'm not joking Park chung hee the dic- military dictator of south korea didn't like him because he was a anti-government sort of figure. And so while he was at a conference in Japan, the Korean CIA, literally the KCIA, kidnapped him and they were going to throw him overboard in the Sea of Japan. <laughs> but the U.S. ambassador literally had to fucking intervene and, and call Pak, Pak Chung-hee like, personally and be like, we will fucking cut off all military and economic assistance if you kill this guy. I mean, like, I swear to fucking God. And so they were able to radio the boat in the middle of, of the Sea of Japan and be like, don't throw him overboard, please. That wouldn't be the weirdest thing the Korean CIA ever did, which included murdering one of the presidents. Um, <laughs> seemingly out of I the mean, blue with yeah, no Park real... Yeah, Chung-hee was killed by the fucking head of the CIA, KCIA. Yeah. Like, yeah. During, during, so basically, if it, with Park Chung-hee, like, his whole story was like, he was taking the civil service exam in occupied Korea, and someone overheard him speaking Jap- or Korean, and he got expelled. He got disqualified from the exam because he weren't allowed to speak uh, the, the degree of the, what the Japanese did in Korea is unbelievable. Like my, oh, my ex-girlfriend, her, her, her grandmother spoke Korean as her native language, but could only read and write in the Japanese alphabet because she was forbidden from learning the Korean alphabet in school. Like, and that's a tiny example. There are so many things they did. And in this case, yeah, the guy who went on to be the military dictator uh, was not allowed to join the civil service because, or maybe a military academy exam because he had spoken his native language aloud. Uh, but then they were like, oh, you can be an officer in occupied Manchuria so like, instead. You know, like, and then he went on to become to do a lot of insane shit. So uh, unifying theory of the worst people in history are failed civil servants. Fuck. I can't remember if it was a civil service exam or if it was to get into a military academy. It was an exam that was pivotal in his life and he was expelled, disqualified solely because they overheard him speaking to another kid in Korean, not Japanese. Um, anyway, we've derailed. This is a long episode, but I'll just say... Weird anecdotes about Korean history are always fascinating. Also, weird anecdotes about military history are always fascinating. There was legitimately a dude who identified as a Black Panther who murdered some people on a fucking rifle range at Camp Casey in like the 80s. Like, Korea military stuff always gets crazy. Korea was well known as like the Wild West of the being in the U.S. Army until very recently. Very recently. Even when I I was was in, in, people like, oh, I was in Korea. And people like, oh, so you're an alcoholic who committed multiple crimes. 
and fucking yeah, like just loves blowing all your money on prostitutes. Um, I I knew guys who were like uh either older NCOs or prior service guys who had been in Korea before the Yangju Highway incident and the whole like renegotiation of the sofa. And yeah, the stories they told my my friend telling me stories about oh yeah, running into the battalion chaplain at a, at a brothel, mm-hmm. like just fucking. It was a madhouse in so many ways. Hey, um, as uh, as Quan Mills says, uh, preachers eat pussy too. <laughs> 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 One of one of my one of my favorite uh, anecdotes, uh, not an anecdote, but like a joke, whatever, is uh, like, what's the fastest way to make uh, make sergeant when you get stationed in Korea is to go there as a staff sergeant, staff sergeant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what I'll say is that it's, it's it's the same now, but instead of insane behavior that's like more or less sanctioned, it's that they ratcheted shit down so much because soldiers can't get stop fucking up that now basically literally doing breathing when you're off duty gets you a, an Article 15. Like it's so strict. In a way that makes soldiers stupid and makes them fucking act out more. And also, don't get me wrong, like American soldiers do a lot of really fucked up shit in Korea. But now, if they do really fucked up shit, they go to Korean prison because of the way the SOFA works. Yep. So I'm dead serious. RS1 had to have an accountability sheet for the battalion that included three soldiers on our books who were in Korean prison for, and I'm not joking, trying to import like a whole fucking case of spice through the US Postal Service. Of course. Into Korea. Um, so that is Operation Paul Bunyan. So we do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. If you'd like to ask us a question, support the show via Patreon, even down to a dollar. Ask us on Discord. Uh, you can ask us through a Patreon, DM, Twitter. You could attach it to an axe and leave it next to Tom's front door. And <laughs> today's question goes... Steal a hammer from outside the studio and then write it on the hammer and give it back to us. Uh, today's question... We did have a hammer stolen. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> today's question comes to us from Patreon. And as you guys record a lot, you've guessed the, you've guessed it on a lot of different podcasts. You have recorded with a lot of different people. And I'm going to add my own thing here. Do not name who you're recording with at the time of this. Tell us a story of a recording gone terribly wrong that you hated. Look, I obviously see more of it from the side of the producer than the person on the show. There have been times when I've had shows that just, you know, the people are weird one time a person came into our studio in London and clearly hadn't bathed in a very long time and the studio smelled awful. Was this a and it was guest or the, just a random person was, that wondered? It, it was a guest. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a guest who came in and, and, and they smelled very, very bad. Uh, and they are extremely prominent in the UK. So it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> um, however, I would say the worst, the worst for me was editing an episode of a show with a prominent podcast host from another show who was not only incredibly annoying, but managed to fuck his audio so badly. That was probably the longest I've ever had to spend on, on an episode of a show that was probably an hour and 10 minutes long, and also was just two people fucking talking. I have one again. This actually wasn't a podcast. It was a stream. Um, and it was back in 2020, uh, yeah, 2020 when um, the second Karabakh War started uh, here in Armenia. Um, and I was attempting to fundraise, uh, you know, raise awareness, whatever I could do because I couldn't get over, uh, to Armenia at the time. It was in the middle of COVID. I was in Hawaii, which actually had like probably the strictest COVID, uh, rules in the entire United States. Also, I didn't fully understand how Armenia worked quite yet. Um, but I was, I was going on like literally anybody who would have time for me. And I went on the stream and uh, I was asking for, you know, know, there, I, I believe they asked like, you know, what would you like? Uh, the 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 international community or you know whatever the NATO EU uh, someone what would you like someone to do I was like fucking give us weapons 
Like, we need weapons. We need everything you can get. Like, go to a shed outside, find an old AR, throw it out of a plane. It's better than what people have here. Um, and they started calling me an American imperialist and shit. <laughs> and like a warmonger. Like, bitch, war is already fucking happening. We're being invaded. Like, <laughs> what if a podcaster was Victor Boo? <laughs> like, how can I be a warmonger? The capital city is being cluster bombed, you know, um, people are being beheaded and executed like on like and the videos are being put on Telegram. Uh, but yeah, I was the warmonger because people couldn't. I mean, it, it was baffling to me. Um, and I have become since then significantly more picky on what shows I end up on, which if anybody has been paying attention, that's virtually none now. <laughs> Tom just said something we had to cut out that reminded me of something that happened um, probably what, a year ago when we did the uh, the Nanking series, um, where I had Japanese nationalists swarming every layer of social media that not only I have, but the show has. They found my email. They found the show's email. I'm surprised they didn't find Nate's email. And I that went on for about nine months. I would just, if anyone ever sent me an email, I'll just respond with Docto is Korean. <laughs> <laughs> See, this Japanese nationalists have nothing on me because I found Nate's email, but they couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, that's how we all got linked up. Um, what is what is yours? Uh, mine, so, bit of background. Obviously, I'm Irish. I've only Wait, ever what? held... Since wh- how long yeah. have you been Irish? <laughs> I'm really proud of you for coming out as Irish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, like, I've only really held one gun, and uh, recently I was interviewing someone who, after we finished recording, like casually mentioned, "Oh yeah, I just had a gun on me for the entire interview." In and I in was just London? like, no, "No, no, no." He was in America. Oh, he was in America, okay, and okay. It, it was just kind of like big disconcerting. It's like, "Oh yeah, this guy was strapped up for the entire interview." <laughs> I, I honestly like I've had very few unpleasant recording experiences like I've, i have as well i, mean, I should say i, I also I, have I, uh, there was a time when i took just about any work and i've had a bunch of insane british tories worst people you can think of for a client podcast just i've had i i, I unintentionally dissed the, the 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 tory mp who was my age by i didn't recognize the, the name was nigerian and i didn't recognize if it was male or female so i walked into the room and just started speaking to his basically his assistant who was probably like a 25-year-old, you know, British Nigerian woman, like she was the MP, and he clearly got fucking very unhappy with me. And then I was like, "Bro, like you went to Eton and you're younger than me." Um, like I I've had like generally like quite pleasant like recording experiences for stuff I like do myself, stuff that I can talk about like confidential stuff like contract stuff. I have just encountered the highest levels of idiocy from people who are infinitely wealthy but don't know how to use a laptop or don't know how to speak into a mic like yeah all right fellas thank you so much for joining me again here in the lines of by donkeys podcast use this area to plug your other shows uh listen to beneath skin the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing listen to all the stuff that nate is gonna name but also since joe is so humble and never mentions it buy joe's books yeah buy his books (laughs) Please buy my books. They're good. And also listen to uh, the audiobook that Tom produced of Joe narrating his book, The Hooligans of, Han- of, the Hooligans of Kandahar. Uh, he, Tom's put a lot of work in this. Joe's put a lot of work in this. Joe wrote the fucking book. So that's available on the Patreon. You should listen to it. 
I produce other shows. Uh, one is called Kill James Bond, movie podcast with three incredibly funny trans co-hosts. They're extremely great. Love that show a lot. I also produce What a Hell of a Way to Die, a show with me and Francis Horton about why you shouldn't join the military and also dad advice and gardening advice. And uh, I also produce Trash Future, a show about the tech industry and how dumb it is. And when you close read what tech says about itself, you realize how just empty and vacuous and stupid and also funny it is. Um, also, it's also a lot about British politics. So yeah, those oh, all... As well as an addendum, if you want to hear more of me on the Hell of a Way Patreon, I do a show with friend of this show, Shocks, where we call 33rd County, where we we plumb the depths of the Irish and Irish-American experience. I had to watch Boondock Saints last night. I came up with the fucking idea on a goddamn train back from fucking Edinburgh last year, and I texted the two of them and made a fucking group chat, and I immediately made the logo of the group chat, the House of Pain album cover. So you know what? Fucking, I'm glad it's taken off. I'm glad people like it. Listen, it's really funny. Great show. Both natural podcasters, those two, so fucking listen to it. If you like what we do here on the show, consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, you get regular episodes like this early. You get five plus years of bonus content. You get the Hooligans of Kandahar audiobook. I'm planning on doing other audiobooks in the future. Uh, and failing that, uh, consider leaving us a review on wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And until next time, uh, jump on a bicycle, arm yourself with a bomb, and blow up a nearby tree. <laughs>